Welcome to the Two Tokens Podcast. During these episodes, we will invite guests onto our show and discuss everything token related. You can expect to hear about token business models, the underlying technology stack, token governance, but also about mainstream topics such as NFTs. Does this sound interesting to you? Then make sure you subscribe and keep listening. And now, on to the episode. Welcome, Philippe. And uh, I was just... Yeah, you can present also. So you can present... You know, for, first of all, it's a pity that you couldn't make it here. Um, we don't have a camera sitting at the room, so you can't see the 1,000 people sitting here. Um, but uh, rest assured, it's a full house. And um, uh, thank you for having us at the Crypto Asset Conference. We were discussing uh, last time uh, we met that it's important that we have a European voice and that we... Uh, you know, let ourselves be heard. If we do not, then we will have people in Parliament in Brussels pass laws that might not be beneficial to the industry. Um, but it would be good to have your perspective, uh, Philippe, on uh, what we're doing today. Uh, we're, you know, you are at the beginning recording of uh, the, the roundtable. We're recording the session, so people will be able to see it on demand. And uh, well, thank you. And um, Maybe you can uh, give us your perspective. Yes, thanks very much. Uh, I have uh, 15 minutes uh, in total, right? And I will try to use this time as good as I can, right? So can you see the slides? Does it work? Okay. Alex, uh, Alex uh, can you see the slides? Maybe you can very quickly confirm. Yes, we can see the slides. It's all good. Okay, perfect. Then I want to start. Yeah, so the, uh, the idea was uh, that I will briefly present uh, a couple of aspects on cryptocurrency, but also about how they are regulated in Europe, right? So first of all, my name is Philip Sandner. I'm working at the Frankfurt School of Finance. Um, that is a small university in Germany, in Frankfurt. And uh, we are trying to focus on education there because our university is having a footprint in the area of business, finance, and computer science. We also thought that blockchain fits there very nicely. That's why we have set up a blockchain center a couple of years ago. That's basically very briefly described. We also have uh, many things to offer in the area of education. I will uh, jump over the slide and directly hit the topic. So where are we right now? I think we need to acknowledge that in blockchain technology, we now have a couple of good areas which are developing very nicely and partly also independent from each other. So we have the domain around digital securities, digital assets. This also includes the domain around tokenization of assets. Um, I think many of you guys have heard this. Then we have the discussion around the euro on blockchain. Uh, this is partly involving the European Central Bank but it's also involving private banks and companies like um, potentially like PayPal and others who, who might be interested in deploying a euro technically on blockchain systems. So it's not just the central bank which is covering this topic. Then we have the area around decentralized assets or decentralized protocols with Bitcoin, Ethereum, DeFi, NFT, and so on. That's basically the domain where there is the largest dynamic at this point of time. There is the largest dynamic here. Uh, I get many, many, many job offers in this field where companies are now searching uh, for people exactly in this field. And then we have two also very interesting topics uh, popping up on the horizon. That's, for example, the CO2 topic on blockchain. This really gains some momentum these days 
and also identity management. Identity management is out there now since a couple of years, uh, but it's also a very tough topic. So it, it is developing positively, but it also develops much slower when you compare it to decentral crypto assets like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on. Now coming from Germany, um, we, we see that uh, for in Germany, we have quite some good laws uh, which have been filed, which are now in place since approximately 2.5 years. Primarily, that's the so-called crypto license, um, which is out there since 2.5 years. So companies like Coinbase and others, in case they would like to serve their clients with Bitcoin and crypto assets, they have to apply for this crypto license. The government this way uh, tries to keep the custody technology under control such that only licensed companies can serve the customer with the goal that assets uh, cannot be stolen, cannot be taken away and are not disguising somehow, right? Uh, for a t country like Germany with high taxes, it's also important to, uh, to know which German citizens are owning uh, crypto assets on behalf of the government uh, because of all the taxation, which is, of course, uh, going on. Then we had last year the so-called Digital Securities Act, which is now at least in part dematerializing uh, securities, but at this point of time only debt instruments, not equity instruments yet. And we had the so-called Fund Location Act, which allows now investment funds to also invest in crypto assets, right? So these are the, the key three laws we had in the last 2.5 years. And they, these laws now um, allowed companies uh, and banks and so on to, to see a solid ground to have legal certainty such that these companies can now start acting, can create budget and at some point of time also launch products. That's the German level now in, 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 in our country here. We, of course, have the European level. This is a little bit slower, but we also have the MiCA regulation uh, coming up, which is generally a good regulation, but there are also two, three aspects which uh, urgently need to be uh, criticized. The good thing is with MiCA is that it will be regulate 400 million EU citizens in a in a unified way, such that local uh, specifics of various countries are diminishing, right? So th th that's interesting to see here, like uh, an EU-wide unified market emerging, emerging, and the laws here on the left-hand side, especially the crypto license law, will then be abolished once the MiCA uh, comes into force, most probably end of next year. So the MiCA, I think, I think part of you guys have heard it. That's basically a regulation proposed by the European Commission. So first of all, there is a so-called catch-all category. It's called crypto assets, and that's, for example, where Bitcoin fits in. There are rules there on how companies in the market have to discover prices, how custody is being made, how anti-money laundry controls are being done, and so on and so forth. But Bitcoin is, uh, finally is in the so-called catch-all category. Then you have the domain, it's like a silo, right? Then we have a specific domain in there um, for utility tokens. Utility tokens are, for example, Ethereum and others, but most of the tokens, not all, but most of the tokens we see in the domain around NFTs, DeFi, and also the metaverse are to some degree also utility tokens. So they would, they, that's what politicians would like to have, right? They would like to fall under the Mika uh, as I have illustrated here, but I will go a little bit further. Then you see here that in an entirely separated box, you have securities um, like shares, bonds, and other things. 
they are not covered by MICA. So you have a huge regulatory scheme for securities and you have a huge regulatory scheme for everything related to crypto assets, right? That's basically, and these two regulations are not touching each other. They are separate from each other. That's why I drew these boxes like they are. Then the European Commission also said that when the Mika was invented, there was still the project called Libra uh, from Facebook. And at that point of time, the European Commission did not like projects like Libra because um, they feared that money might be privatized and therefore they created very, 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 very high hurdles for such companies to operate stable coins, you know, for example, to operate the euro on blockchain. Libra project has been revised, so there should have been the euro on blockchain and so on and so on. So forth, but it didn't come because Libra or Facebook or DM faced too high hurdles in Europe. But we also have US dollar stable coins, uh, USDC, uh, for example, in case they would like to be offered in Europe, then they would have to apply for a MICA license, especially here the SEMT segment uh, reflecting significant e-money uh, tokens. Then we have also the so-called asset reference tokens. This would be basket currencies like the very first version of uh, Libra at that point of time and potentially also um, uh, like collateralized constructs like DAI, they would also most probably be a, uh, art uh, token, so to say. This is, keep this slide in mind, this is what the European Commission would like to have from a normative level. This is how they would like to sort in specific projects like. But the hurdles are very high. The hurdles are very high for issuers. And most important here, the hurdles are lower in other countries outside the EU. That's, of course, partly the US, but it's also our neighboring countries, Switzerland and potentially the UK. So what the EU tries to build here might not work out uh, because of um, other, other companies, uh, other countries doing lower hurdles here. Of course, politicians then tell us that this is regulatory arbitrage, um, which is, in my mind, the wrong word, because in case you are creating very, very, very high hurdles, and nobody wants to apply for such licenses because the hurdles are too high, then this is not regulatory uh, arbitrage. This is simply bad regulation, which is driving out innovation to other countries. So what happens in case the MICA uh, comes like it is today and the, the likelihood is very high, especially including the so-called uh, transfer of funds rules, which is currently be, being discussed in the European Commission, then you will have projects like Tether many NFTs, DeFi protocols, and primarily the huge metaverse, which will um, occur at some point of time, they will be issued not from EU ground, but they will be issued from other countries. For example, Switzerland, we see this already now, by the way, they will be issued from Switzerland and from other countries. We, over here in Europe, can still work with them, right? We can purchase them, we can do something with these tokens, but we can expect that these companies will not be sitting in the EU. They will sitting outside the EU and basically sell still or basically uh, allow us to be users in their protocols. But these protocols most probably will, will not be uh, developed uh, in the European Union because the hurdles uh, for companies are simply too high. In case the company has to the possibility to choose between a low hurdle regime and a high hurdle regime, which does it take? That's trivial, of course, the company chooses the low hurdle regime. That's pretty clear. And this is what happens. So 
even from a normative uh, perspective, in case you would like to have NFTs, DeFi, and metaverse tokens uh, regulated by the Mika, in an extreme case, this might be possible, but companies will not choose to do so. That's why I cross them out. Then com uh, tokens like Tether and DAI will also not uh, choose the EU. Why should they? Because Tether is a project coming from uh, from China. And uh, these guys, they say, you can use our token, but you do not have to use it. It's your decision. But I would bet that they will not apply for any license over here in the EU. That's why these tokens, they will exist. We can also purchase in the way of self-custody, but um, they will not be offered by intermediaries over here in Europe. And then concerning euro tokens, I also crossed this out because the hurdles for euro stable coins is so high that they most probably will not exist. So the Mika regulation, as you can see here, is basically a good framework, yes, but it's made without regulatory competition and regulatory speediness in other countries in mind, such that basically it will not have the desired effects, right? Right now, we do have euro uh, stable coins, but they are not very significant. 99% of the stable coins are denoted in US dollars. And why is this important? Because we are right now in the phase where this technology starts to grow. You see this very nicely here, because we are in the very early beginning where this technology now starts to grow. And you also see here that the, the slope of the curve is increasing. This is what we can observe here. Company, you know, I don't talk about the crash from the last couple of days. I rather talk about fundamental metrics um, where people are employing uh, young people to work with them. Uh, the universities are creating study courses. Uh, many things are happening on a fundamental level, um, not taking the price action in mind. And of course, this technology will grow to to a state where maybe in 2035, most probably we will have uh, any value somehow being stored on blockchain networks uh, or reflected as tokens on Ethereum and so on, including security tokens, of course. It will take a while, but I think we are on a very good path here. Um, and by the way, it's important to note that even if companies are not having a domicile in the EU, they still might or we as users still might be able uh, to interact with them. We can we can purchase the tokens, we can uh, interact with these tokens, this will all be fine, but I have a very strong fear that we are entering exactly the same world as we have it right now with regard to Google, Amazon, Facebook, and so on and so forth, where all the companies are having their headquarters in the US and Europe is simply being seen as a sales market uh, to sell their products, you know? That's basically, in my personal opinion, what's gonna happening when you look at uh, this chart here, where the regulation is driving out innovation out of the EU. And the unfortunate thing is here that people in the European Parliament are partly not understanding this, that's uh, pretty sad. Um, let me also point uh, at, the, at the, the end of my presentation uh, to um, two or three very important points. Here, what you see here is the illustration of the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin consists of more than 15,000 nodes which are switched together. And as you know, everybody can set up a node, it's unrestricted. With this, it's geographically dispersed, and there is no legal body which is orchestrating the network in any way, right? Like it's decentral, there is no entity organizing all this. And this is what we call public blockchain system. This is also what we call decentralized protocols. 
And this basically is uh, basically nicely regulated in the MiCA, except the, the, uh, the transfer of funds uh, part there. In case you would like to define Bitcoin, then Bitcoin can be said uh, to be a worldwide network. Um, Bitcoin is not the software code. Bitcoin is the entire network of thousands of computing nodes being switched together. By the way, how large is one Bitcoin node? Maybe you, you notice a Bitcoin node uh, is basically the size of an, of an orange, basically, uh, or like, like a cigarette box. That's basically the, the size of a node in the Bitcoin network. And of these nodes, they are existing thousands on our planet. This is done in a, in a way that the network operates in a redundant way, such that you cannot stop Bitcoin technically. That, that by the way, has a very far-reaching implication because in case you are having an IT system which you cannot technically stop, it's not possible to stop it uh, technically, what happens? This system will run forever. So in case I or you go to retirement in a couple of years or maybe in 20 years in my case, then uh, or 30 years, who knows, then Bitcoin will still run at that point of time, right? That's fascinating. Uh, think about it. It's absolutely fascinating also from a philosophical perspective to have created a network which you cannot shut down, which you cannot stop. Therefore, it will run forever. This is opposed to so-called enterprise blockchain systems where the network is orchestrated by a consortium of banks, for example, by associations or by something else. And here, the legal entity organizing this is liable for the entire network. But, and this is something I would like to focus on to, to also close down this very short message, enterprise blockchain systems have not hold what they have promised because on the left-hand side in the domain of crypto assets, we now see a daily transaction volume of 80 billion of US dollars being moved around day by day, right? That's trillions per month, you know, that's massive amount of money. And on the right-hand side, after inspecting these enterprise blockchain systems for a couple of years, and after doing this by dozens of companies, we only have some advanced prototypes, which mostly are not live yet. Yeah, that's basically the state of development with regards to enterprise blockchain systems and public blockchain systems. So it's pretty clear which domain has one here. That's basically the decentral infrastructures here on the left-hand side. It's, it's, it's simply being set by the numbers. And with the beginning of Corona, that was basically also uh, the point in time I have in, I have in my brain. With beginning of Corona, suddenly we didn't hear anything anymore from our three quarter in London, funded by 100 banks and the same uh, hyperledger, which has been pushed by IBM. Nothing happens apparently or not much happens anymore to these um, domains. There are still some projects ongoing. I know this, you know, the, the, the EPSI project by the European Commission and so on and so forth. But come on. Years have passed. Bitcoin has risen from 4,000 to 40,000 US dollars. Time 10, we even touched 69,000 US dollars and we nearly touched the 1 trillion market cap. You know, that's 11% of gold. That's the left side domain. On the, on the right hand side, not much is happening in these enterprise uh, domains. Speaking also for Germany, I'm also a little bit sad that companies like Bosch, Daimler, Siemens, BMW and all these amazing companies they are not doing much in the blockchain field. They might have one employee or maybe two employees doing this, but this, it's not something you, you should compare with the left-hand side where you have 10,000 of people working operatively in an implementing way with regard to all these crypto assets. 
And in the last word, Alex, if I may ask, because that's also a dangerous topic, digital currencies are about geopolitics. And we have China pushing this topic. China has created their digital yuan back in 2014. Their system is basically now live. And they are doing experiments with their systems, experiments whether the system works as, uh, as it should with 100 million people. You know, Germany has a population of 82. So their experiments are larger than our entire country in Germany. You know, imagine this. So China is at the forefront of digital currencies. Of course, there is always uh, this issue whether China also does this uh, to, to monitor people and so on and so forth. Uh, I don't have an opinion here. Uh, uh, just mentioning here to have uh, China leading the topic of enterprise blockchain systems, whereas in the US, we do not have something like this. But in the US, we have stable coins, right? In, there are stable coins out there, not the one which crashed in the last uh, couple of days, but stable coins backed by real US dollars like USD Circle and other ones, uh, where you have a transaction volume of 150 billion day by day. These are private solutions. So to summarize here, China is having a government-driven solution. The US is currently discovering and developing a private solution, but they are also having a public solution by their central bank in mind. But still, they have a solution for the digital dollar, right? Uh, so East and West is having a solution. And over here in Europe, we have neither nor, because we simply just have a couple of advanced prototypes. But the European Central Bank, in comparison now to what China is doing, is acting very, very slow. Um, but luckily, we have some national central banks, like in France, for example, where quite some advanced projects are being done. But the problem is also that at this point of time, the US dollar is the prime currency for stable coins. 99% of the stable coins are denoted in US dollar. There is basically no significant stable coin um, deployed with the euro. The reason for this is the Mika regulation with very high hurdles. I explained it previously, but also the negative interest rates, uh, which do not allow a euro stable coin to be operated in a profitable way, yeah, because you have to pay negative interest rates on the back end to the central bank. That's two reasons why euro stable coins have not emerged and why they will not emerge. So this, in my mind, will become a problem for Europe, because we don't have a government-driven solution, but we also don't have a privately driven uh, uh, solution. And the, the very bad thing is that uh, politicians all around Europe are, in my mind, not deeply understanding what's going on here. And yeah, we could also talk about Bitcoin even more, but I think um, just highlighting the, the inflation rates here, uh, I think we really have to work on multiple things. And I think politicians have also to, uh, to, to focus on all these topics. Here are the inflation rates. Uh, I was really shocked. I, I, I saw this slide yesterday, and you see here Estonia having an inflation rate of 19%. You know, one nine. Imagine this. Germany is not that bad. You know, it's uh, crazy to say it is not that bad with 7.8%, uh, and the Netherlands uh, with 11.2% is also pretty bad. This I also think, unfortunately, will stay like it is. So there will be much to do in the future. I think that crypto assets out there are one interesting way to also work around inflation. Um, by the way, in an uprising field, in a growing dynamic area, but don't miss, don't make the mistake to choose enterprise blockchain systems because the dynamic is very obviously in the domain around crypto assets. 
maybe not fully over here in the EU, maybe elsewhere, but to stay in the area of uh, blockchain assets in terms of cryptocurrencies makes very much sense. With this, I would like to close, uh, Alex. Sorry for being five minutes over time. And uh, I hope I hope I brought about uh, some of the key points uh, and I hope I was also able to carve out what is positive and what is negative uh, to help you uh, guide the way a little bit um, in case you are exploring crypto assets. Yeah, let's stay in touch in case you would like to uh, contact me. Here are also my uh, LinkedIn uh, credentials and so on. Thank you, uh, Philip. Um, this is very clear. Yeah, too bad you couldn't be here. You know, uh, because this is a room for discussion and debate. And I could see certain people light up. Um, but uh, rest assured, we're going to share this presentation with the people in the room. Um, but I'm, I, I think we, as a community here in Europe, we have a job to do, right? Um, and this call to action that you implicitly gave was very clear. Um, so uh, thank you for making time. And um, we hope to see you next time uh, in, in the flash, for real. Thanks much for having me and have a very nice day. That was it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening in and please subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find our contact details at www.twotokens.org.